Welcome to this week's edition of Talk on Tech. I'm Patrick Smith. And I'm Josh Joseph. And we're here to navigate you through the intricacies of information technology and all things Mount West Community and Technical College related. So here we are, episode 15. We weren't gone for a year and a half. <laughs> Yay. So um, one of the first things I, I want to talk about here uh, is an article, but also is something that's pertinent to uh, a lot of my students. Microsoft has recently been updating their curriculum to their new server 2012. Uh, usually Microsoft doesn't necessarily cancel or expire one of your certifications. The whole idea is they bring out a new operating system. And so you know, back in the day, I got certified on NT4, and then it became Windows 2000 and 2003, and it recently it's been 2008. They've now moved up to 2012. While they're moving everyone to 2012, they are, they're stopping some of their old tests being able to be done. And there was a date that was um, January 31st. It just passed, actually. <laughs> and that was going to be when they canceled you being able to set and attain your MCITP Enterprise Admin. Basically, for any of you Microsoft people who, who haven't been in the game for a couple years... Um, you've probably heard of an MCSE. That was their old moniker they had. So basically Microsoft upgraded that and they changed the name of it a little bit to Enterprise Admin. And so Microsoft has actually chosen to go back to their old naming scheme. They kind of did a switcheroo. They're back to the MCSA and MCSEs, but they now mean something different. So there's an MCSA for the 2012 curriculum. And there's an MCSE for the 2012 curriculum. And at this point, they're wanting to move people to those 2012 certifications. So they're actually um, discontinuing what would have been called an MCSE on 2008. So for any of my students who took my second semester classes, which would have been um, the VISTA class, which would have been the Enterprise Admin test, and also a test from the, the first semester, application infrastructure those are still valid so what that means for for people in the know is that you can still go to a Prometric testing center you can still take the 70-643 exam and you can also still take the 70-647 exam until 731 that is July 31 or July 31st of this year 2014 for some reason, Microsoft has decided to extend it for an extra six months. I don't really know their methods or their reasons, um, but they have gone ahead and extended that. So if you were one of my 2008 students or if you're a person who was wanting to get your 2008 certifications, you would still need to go take your Active Directory 640 test. You'd still have to go take your Network Infrastructure 642 exam. There's still time, as I said, to take your application infrastructure 643 test because it's you got a six-month reprieve. And then you can go and take your enterprise administrator 647 test, and you would be able to attain your Microsoft Certified IT Professional Enterprise Administrator certification. So you can still do that for now if you want. And just another FYI, uh, this summer I plan to move all of my 2008 curriculum up to 2012. So the goal this fall and next spring will be that I'll be teaching Server 2012 and Windows 8. So students keep on asking me whether I've looked at the stuff, and I say, nope. <laughs> I, I, I don't start looking at it until I start training on it because I don't want to muddy the waters in my head and and be saying something's from a newer right. technology when I should be teaching them a specific technology that doesn't confuse them. So, talking about technology and whether it's old or new. Yeah. Um so as we all know or should know or don't know, um <clears throat> Windows XP is expiring finally <laughs> on April the 8th of 2014. Um, that means they're going to end their support. No more updates. No more fixes. Um, people may still run it, but they're not going to get in. That's it. No more support for it. They're cut off. Well, along with that, um, Microsoft has kind of kept quiet. I did not know about this. Um, they're also ending support for Office 20, uh, 2003 and Exchange 2003. Now, the reason they're doing that is because they found out that so many users that had XP 
still were using Office 2003 and Exchange 2003. They were using them all together. A lot of businesses, that was kind of their combo. So they decided to um, go ahead and they don't want to have to support any of that anymore. Um, because of the debacle that was Windows Vista, um, a lot of people decided that it was because of money and things like that, they were going to stay on <clears throat> Windows XP. And by doing so, they stayed with Office 2003 and Exchange 2003. And so, along with XP expiring April the 8th, Office 2003 and Exchange 2003 are also expiring. So no more support, hmm. no more updates, no more patches, no more fixes. They're done with it. They don't want to deal with it. They want you to be moving on up. Um, and I don't see anything else about that. I think originally wasn't Office 20, 2003. Wasn't it called Office XP? I remember having a box that was an Office XP box, and there was an you Office know, 2000. You know, I think it might have been. I think it was originally when it when it came out with along the lines of that system. I think they were tagging it as Office XP, mm-hmm. um, and then of course the standalones were being Office 2003 and mm-hmm. Exchange 2003. And I remember when I was in school, when I started college in the fall of 2005. Excuse me. When I had my IG one hundred and one, yeah, it was Office two thousand three. Well, I remember teaching with Sam XP is <laughs> right. what it was called, and right. it was, that was and Office so, three. So, along the same lines, they're just wanting to go ahead and officially end it all on mm-hmm. April the eighth, which they have extended it. That's the second or third time they've extended the deadline on when they're going to support. It. You know, they've already ended the support for anything behind Service Pack three. If it's not XP right. Service Pack three, it's already <clears> been done away with. Um, and so they've, they're going ahead and saying, if you haven't upgraded to at least Office 2007, anything behind that, they're done. Mm-hmm. No more support. And so. it's, in, it's interesting they're, they're doing Exchange 2003 because you know, I was just talking about certifications expiring. Right. Um, one of the reasons I'm moving to 2012, like, I mean, I'm kind of being forced to by Microsoft because they're right. expiring all these certifications. Yep. You can't take them anymore. I mean, if you've already attained them, they're yours, but mm-hmm. you can't go and sit. Right. Last year, uh, in in 2013, um, they actually had already killed Exchange 2007. Right. So yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I get that's five years, right. but but they're just now getting rid of support overall for 2003. So right. if you have an Exchange 2007 certification, or you have some of these certifications that are that are expiring. Mm-hmm. they're still probably going to be valuable and useful for yeah. another good three to four years. Yeah. Um, because if they're just now after 10 years getting mm-hmm. rid of exchange 2003, um, that's, that's, that's pretty big, but yeah, poor XP. It was around since 2001. Right. Right. So that's, that's crazy. Yeah. And just along with all of that, it's just the fact that with this search expiring and things uh, at a more frequent rapid pace to keep up with technology, they're forcing the hand. Like you said, they're the, it's to the point to where you're being forced to move to the next one, move to the next one, move to the next one. Even though those previous ones, you may not be able to sit for them, but if you already have them, they're still valuable. Because Just because these are being forced, like you're going to be moving to serve 2012, mm-hmm. a lot of places aren't still going to be using 2012. They're going to be using 2008. Yeah. So those are still going to be relevant, but... You know, you're just not gonna be able to sit for them, and now you mentioned like you mentioned the XP support is dying in in August or in April. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure one of my students was talking about the other day that Server 2003 support is expiring in June of this year. I think so. It's not so. It's not too far off. Right. Right. But there are a lot of people who are still running Server 2003. Yeah. There's actually people that are still running Windows 2000. Mm-hmm. And so, like you say, a lot of times. People that you you know get a job for, they want you to understand their equipment, right? And they don't necessarily follow Microsoft's rules of let's <laughs> update you know next week as soon as a new version comes out. So mm-hmm. your skill set that they want is going to be based on their equipment. So it's it's always good to get whatever certifications you can to prove you're an expert in that area. Mm-hmm. That's why it's not not never a bad idea while you're finishing school while you're in school if you've taken the classes and you're ready to certify go ahead and get those certifications because when you turn around and you get the job and you know you're able to work with those and it's time to go back and you might not have you might have missed the opportunity to get those certs and those certs might be more relevant than the newest ones that we're having to instruct for because that's what they're giving us so it's just like with the the comp and 
all of that. They're changing them every three years, and those three years are flying by. Mm-hmm. And the technologies that are on those now, from when I started first teaching the A+, what's on there now, some of the stuff is the same, but there's a lot of new things that a lot of the people that took it when we were first offering the, the, the classes um, a couple years back, mm-hmm. um, completely different. So, yeah. you know, something to think about. But So sometimes it's not even just the fact that you'll get rusty with the technology if you mm-hmm. wait too long to go and sit. Sometimes it's the fact that the the knowledge base you got leaves right. you behind. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely yeah. the case. Well, XP may be uh, losing support in April, but most ATMs in the U.S. are still running unpatched copies of Windows XP. Now, that may sound alarming at first, um, but this article here at ZDNet talks about the fact that we don't want to be too alarmed by the fact that ATMs are still running XP because this is not an XP laptop that your kid or that you would have. And these machines are more hardened. You know, it's the idea that you live in a house that has 15 windows and four doors. There's tons of ways for people to get into that. And that would be like a normal laptop you might have because you'd be playing games on it, you'd have all kinds of software on it that could be buggy and have exploits. An ATM is like having a building with one door, no windows. Because there's very little that you have to do with that ATM at all. And so there's only one point out, it's sending information out to the banks, and one point in. So it's already hardened pretty well from exploits. And, you know, even though your article mentioned that for normal uh, public people that support for XP would be running out um, this April, if you have a special contract with Microsoft, they're set to continue supporting certain editions of XP all the way until 2016. Now, the article also points out why exactly have ATMs not even moved up yet? And so the article goes into a lot of stuff that I gotta admit is is over my head, a lot of bank and financial <laughs> information, but suffice it to say, what I will tell you all is that there's a lot of technologies they're looking at moving into ATMs. One of them is called EMV, which is short for Europay MasterCard Visa. Uh, and basically MasterCard and Visa are pushing a lot of these technologies. Mm-hmm. And the idea is, you know, MasterCard and Visa as companies, as service providers, they're going to make all the retailers have to support that because it's almost like they're a bank. Right. They're saying, if you want to use our cards, if somebody maliciously uses information, you'll be paying the fine in Walmart, not us. You'll be having to do that. So they're talking about that they're going to be doing these EuroPay MasterCard uh, Visas. They also talk about how they're going to start to have ATM cards that have like embedded processors in them that'll be used. And um, a lot of that is shooting for being able to be done by 2016. So right now they got an operating system that's pretty secure for what they need. Mm -hmm. They're trying to focus more on the hardware side. And, you know, they did say here, you would think that a lot of businesses that would, would kind of um, say, no, we don't, we don't want this yet. We're not ready for it here in the U S But the good thing is, with this EMV, a lot of the terminals at many stores already support it. So, for example, Walmart. Walmart began turning all of their terminals that they they use for swiping cards Mm -hmm. on on 2011. So they've already had support. Support's been rolling out for this. We just haven't flipped the switch and started requiring these newer, better cards and requiring people to use these newer technologies. And so, like the, the the... the CEO and president of Visa says we have to go ahead and use these newer technologies because if not, Visa is not going to be the one that fits the bill for consumer fraud. Okay. They're going to make those companies. Right. So, so yes, it's not. You shouldn't be worried about XP being on ATMs. Um, at this point, it's been around long enough that they can they can still get patches from Microsoft. And they're not running all the games and applications we run. Right. So it's not like Microsoft has to focus on a wide variety of, of patches. Right. So, yeah, How often do you hear about ATMs getting hacked in, in that sort of manner? Yeah. You know, you as don't, far as, as, you know, people using fake cards and things like that. But as far as hitting a network and cracking an ATM mm-hmm. that way, you don't hear about that. Typically, it seems if a bank is going to get taken down some way, it mm-hmm. usually comes down to the human factor. Exactly. It's social engineering. Yep. That's yep. the easy way in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. <clears throat> so, more about Windows and their operating systems. Uh, Hewlett Packard 
um, has decided that they're going to continue um, and and discount consumer Windows 7 PCs. Now, um, HP is uh, just like Dell and a lot of these other companies. They're kind of hitting a a rut with their sales of PCs, so they're trying to boost the sales and keep that going. And basically, what they're trying to do is argue that Windows 7 is backed by popular demand. That's, that's <laughs> what they're that's what they're quoting it with. Give um, the people what they want. Right, right. They're saying there's still enough demand um, that people want Windows 7. They don't want to move to Windows 8. They don't want 8.1. They want Windows 7. So what they've decided to do that a small selection of their um, models, uh, two notebooks and three desktops, so five five models of their computers, they're going to offer discounted pricings uh, of $480 all the way up to $1,000 for their top-of-the-line five models. It's pretty reasonable. Right, which, which is still pretty good. Um, and they're going to offer you the ability to have Windows 7 on that uh, computer. But then, along the same lines... On their 68 other models, wow, 68 <laughs> other models, they're going to have Windows 8 and 8.1, and that's laptop, desktop, hybrids, that you know, all in ones, all that kind of stuff. Um, and apparently, you know, this is really what it's coming down to somewhat of the idea that the consumers want Windows 7, but then also at the same time, HP is trying to get smart about how to make money and keep money coming in, and so there a lot of people are afraid to move to the Windows 8 or where the tablets are becoming kind of the way to go. Um, a lot of people can't afford them because of the price, and so they're able to say, hey, here's a good you know, top-of-the-line HP desktop or laptop with Windows 7, an operating system you're familiar with, at a discounted price. So even if it's not really that big of a difference for them money-wise, you can see the discount, and you're able to pick up a pretty good machine from them with Windows 7 already installed, um, at a reasonable price. Now, you know, Microsoft probably isn't too happy about that. Excuse me, because of um, the fact that they want everybody moving to Windows 8 and 8. Point. You know, they always want most most companies. They want you on the newest thing. It's the, it's the way they make the most money, things like that. But you know, they have to do what they got to do to stay afloat. And so, what they're trying to do is offer you that Windows 7 option. And I think it's I think it's actually going to work for. Um, Especially the fact that XP is expiring, and you're going to have a lot of businesses and consumers that, for whatever reason, we're still running XP. That is okay. We got to move up. We don't want to pay high prices for high volume machines. Here's five models you can pick from. Small enough company, good enough prices. That's probably what they're going to go with. Well, I was also under the impression too. Like I say, I've I've yet to start touching Windows 8 simply mm-hmm. because. I don't want to muddy the waters when I'm teaching stuff in class. Yep. But I've read articles that talk about the fact that basically Windows 8 was not necessarily ready for enterprise. Right. It's like 8.1. 8.1. one was ready. So it would probably pay for a lot of these companies to move to Windows or stay with Windows 7, I guess, or in this case, move from XP to 7. Right. Because because maybe Windows 8 is not ready for prime time with, with Enterprise. Right. I mean, I know firsthand I experienced some issues with a family member's laptop. Um, bought the laptop, had Windows 8 on it, and right off the bat there were issues with um, drivers and things. Now, pre-installed Windows 8, everything should have worked properly. It had all the nice bells and whistles along with it, and then right off the bat things started updating, and then things started to go wrong. So ultimately I just took the computer back and we found another one, but... Um, yeah, I don't know that Windows 8 necessarily was ready for public consumption um, at the time, you know, that they pushed it out. You know, but that was their thing. That was four, three years old, four years old, Windows 7 was, so it was time for something new. I think they kind of thought that on the tablets it made sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that was their big their big thing. Their new, the touch. The touch. They wanted all that kind of stuff. And then, so along with that, Dell, HP, you know, the big big market computer companies said, okay, we're going to slap it on there too. And then the backlash, you know, they weren't ready for it. A lot of people don't like the interface. They plugged in this 8.1 system, um, uh, you know, to, to fix the, the desktop and all that kind of stuff, the way that people wanted it. But it's kind of just after the fact. It's, you know, you, you give people a bad, you left them with a bad taste in their mouth with 8, and they want to go back to something that they, was solid with 7. Right. So it wasn't the Vista debacle, but... 
still a lot of issues with with eight when it came out. So. Well, you know, the funny thing is, even when Windows eight came out, I remember seeing articles where people said, you know, people's memories are are very very interesting how they how they forget things. Right. They forget how when Windows two thousand and ME was out, mm-hmm. that when XP came out, people were like, "I don't want this piece of crap preschool style version of Windows." Right. Everyone hated XP. Yep. Just absolutely detested it. And then after it was out there for like six years and people had to use it, mm-hmm. then it became familiar for them, yep. and then they didn't want to move to Vista. Exactly. So it happens. I figure these machines, based on their pricing, are probably still going to be using older hardware. So like if you're going to be a gamer and you want the latest and greatest, you're probably not going to be able to get the latest and greatest with your Windows 7 machine because there would have to be drivers that are written for Windows 7 that right. probably those people aren't doing. Right, and and you know with... Just like with with you know HP Dell those those computer companies they when you're buying those off the shelf computers essentially even if you're ordering them through your, their website and doing the customization and things you're still not getting the best hardware option possible so you know take note that the Windows Seven machines are probably not going to be the best ones that they have they're not going to be that sixty eight uh, one of the sixty eight that's you know going to be running Windows eight or eight point one so something to take into account for sure <clears throat> if you're especially if you're a gamer. Um, if you're, you know, want to go the cheap route, maybe, maybe pay a little bit more and look into a Windows 8 or Windows 8.1 machine, just so you know that you have better hardware. Right. Well, I mean, it seems like HP's doing a really good job of figuring out, um, the angle they're going to use to make sure to still have a competitive edge right. in the PC market. Uh, it doesn't seem like Dell is faring very well in that regard. Uh, Dell company which recently went back to being a privately owned PC company is looking at laying off as many as 15,000 people in the coming weeks. And so this article is actually out February 3rd, so it's not far off from when we're recording this right now. So those may start trickling trickling out at this point. And a lot of people say the biggest reason why that is is because as Josh mentioned, there is a falling PC market. So many people are buying tablets. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe maybe they're buying laptops, but definitely tablets. So they're mm-hmm. buying like the Windows 7 tablets or the, the Windows phones, or they're buying uh, the iPads, those type of things. Not a lot of people are buying desktops right. uh, these days. And so Dell never really jumped on board the mobile side. They never bumped, jumped onto the, the tablet side or, or any of those devices like Apple and Samsung and, and, and Google are dominating at this point. So... They're kind of left stuck holding holding the old scraps of what was out there. And so they haven't started doing the Windows 7 uh, thing that, that HP has. And because of that, their stock prices and, and their sales prices have really, really taken a hit at this point. Now, when they went back to being privately owned, um, that just happened last year in September. At that point, Michael Dell, which is the guy for whom the company is named, uh, made mention that they weren't giving up on the PC anytime soon. And and for that, I got to say, I'm, I'm happy because when I was a uh, an IBM style PC person, I would regularly buy Dells. I know that when I attended Marshall University, everything they had was Dells. They had a contract with a Dell. Uh, at MCTC now, um, everything we have is Dell. Seems like Dell is very good in the corporate and in the uh, educational market. As a company who can really make sure, I guess you get a good get a good uh, fair price with them when you purchase the equipment. So I think that's great. I do hope they can continue and, and can stay above board and stay uh, afloat in this market um, because I always liked their machines back when I used to buy them before I switched over to to all Apple products. But it does look like that they're they're in for some stormy uh, weather at this point. Because 15,000 people is not a small drop no, in the bucket no, for any company. No, that's not 1,500. 15,000 yes, people. Yes, 15,000 people. <clears throat> and they, they said that they are going to have a severance package of two months pay plus uh, a week's vacation for every year that employee worked there. So okay. it's not, I mean, two months is not a lot. Hopefully, if you've been there for a while, that might end up racking up to be about six months. Because right. you, you, want, you want time out there. I know even now with the unemployment, it's going to take a while to, right. to find a job. But they are giving them health insurance for 18 months. So that's nice. For a year and a half to try right. to try to help you get back it, on your feet. It also sounds just by the way that you're you're saying what they're going to do. It sounds like they've been looking at this for a while. They've plan, they're planning this out 
or have been planning this out and then just kind of laid it down and said, here's what we've got for you. Mm-hmm. You know, here's your, this is your only option. 15,000 people. What's well, they had talked about too, that some of the, uh, the higher management, you mm-hmm. know, like the, uh, the CFO and the CIOs, um, they had kind of been telling them that their days were numbered. Like the CFO they have uh-huh. said he's going to be leaving Dell soon in order to pursue career interest outside of Dell. <laughs> so well, um, I guess they, they are making some serious cuts, not only at the, like. at the low level, but also the high level too. Yeah, it sounds like with the, with the type of severance packages and the health insurance stuff that you're talking about, it's probably not just their part-time, you know, mom and pop people that are just, you know, in and out. It sounds like they're hitting some some people that are pretty high up. So mm-hmm. and They did mention, the last thing they mentioned in that article, kind of maybe a silver lining that might help them is that Dell has started a partnership with a company called Cumulus Networks to deliver Linux-based, bare-bones network devices to businesses. Hmm. So it sounds like they're kind of going the same route that IBM went at one point right. when they started going with a Linux, uh, a Linux side of things. And so that might, that might give them a little bump out there. Okay. So, and then back to, back to HP. HP has just announced that they're going to start charging for firmware updates and service packs for their servers. Now, that's something we don't normally talk about a whole lot with, with what we do because um, we don't necessarily mess with, what should I say, uh, company-specific things. Like, other than our like Cisco program at Mount West... Um, and you know, the Microsoft option and things like that, but we don't really get into specifics as far as hardware with like HP hardware and things like that as far as their servers. Well, I would think maybe uh, they even talking about that for the desktops too, or just their servers. You know, this is just this seems to be their servers, their okay. ProLiant uh, microservers, which they oh, start yes. about four hundred, uh, a little under four hundred bucks. So it's something that a lot of companies might have or, or mm-hmm. are, are, are looking at. Well, basically what they're trying to do is if you're not tied into a current warranty mm-hmm. or sign up for their extended support agreement, they're going to charge you per firmware upgrade. Now, apparently <clears throat> this was just announced. Um, uh, there's details with it with IBM and Cisco server updating policies and things like that where you're being forced if you don't upgrade to this this specific firmware mm-hmm. so other systems might not be supported within it so if you're not a part of their current warranty agreement or their other extended extended support agreement um you're going to be forced to pay now i don't see specifically you know what the price is going to be for you just to upgrade the firmware right but i imagine it's probably not cheap um i do know that they've got different prices that they keep advertising their, their pro liant microservers and they're saying they run about, um, right around $400, um, or some of them even under three. So these are, you know, smaller server systems. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it, their care packages that they offer, which are their, which are their, um, warranties are basically 125 to $200. So half the cost of what the hardware was. So if, if you didn't get one with it originally, that's what they're going to jump and force you to pay, which is a lot for something that normally would just be pushed out for free. Yeah, but I think they're having to adopt more of a um, a razor and razor blades mentality mm-hmm. now, where it's like they need, you know, we just talked about HP yep. and Dell. They need a way to stay afloat. Yeah, that's exactly what this is. They sell you the server, and then you have to buy updates to keep it going. I mean, because basically what Josh is saying is if you had a server at your company, Normally, if I have a server and I need a new driver, I can look on the back of my Dell and there's like a service tag sticker. Right. And I go to the website and, and look it up and boom, there's all my drivers. They're saying now for these servers uh, that you're going to have to pay to have the support. Mm-hmm. And a firmware upgrade, that may not sound like a lot, but it's the idea that the reason there may be a firmware upgrade is because a hacker has found a way to exploit that device. Right, right. And these things have... so if. Essentially, if you're not, you know, upgrading your firmware, then your, essentially, your system is vulnerable to possible attacks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but the big problem that people are having with this is, um, it says end users who are buying the, from resellers are finding that their warranties have been reduced without their knowledge. So if you did huh. not, so they're showing an example from a one that was purchased in a server that was purchased in August 2012. The warranty clock started ticking as soon as the 
hardware was purchased from HP last month. And then now it's showing that um, the date has already been changed. Um, and then it wouldn't have been eligible for an upgrade basically because of how old the actual thing was. So if you're in a situation where you're not able to buy brand new ones and you're having to buy from resellers, which is common practice for a lot of companies, there's no sense in having to buy a new one if it's small enough, you're buying from a reseller or maybe even like a, a refurbished deal. And right. it still comes with HB warranties and things like that. They're finding out that with this new policy that their warranty dates are changing without their knowledge. So, and it all comes back to basically where they need to, um, excuse me, they need to keep that, keep up with their money. They need to keep money flowing in and they want to keep you supported. Um, it mentions here, mid range pro light models, single year extended coverage under the care package can cost over $1,000. So that's mid range models. Those are going to be more expensive models. Anyways, those are going to be the, the three hundred, four hundred dollar systems. They're gonna be, they're gonna be more than that. So it's essentially half of uh, what that might be. But um, you know, all goes back to where they're trying to be, you know, smart, I guess, um, and trying to keep money flowing in so they don't have to lay off fifteen thousand people. Um, and this is just one of the ways that they're gonna do that. And now, you know, that also keeps them on their toes. They're gonna to be forced to make sure that the firmware upgrades that they do, <clears throat> they do have for those systems fix all those issues that that might be happening and things like that. So just, you know, we've been back and forth with Dell and HP, it seems, and and operating systems and a lot of changes going on in the, in the world. And this is all happening within the last three months. We've been going for a year and a half and this is just barely three months of information. It seems like all of the, all the IT companies are trying to find a way to survive in this new environment. Yeah. And I mean, with everything that's going on with the cloud and the tablets and things like that, you know, the tablet sizes, the hard drives, people freak out when they don't see a large hard drive size on a tablet. Well, with all this stuff with the cloud, the idea is, oh, you're going to store all your stuff in the cloud and things like that. And so that's having a huge effect on what these companies are. Because like you said, people aren't just buying desktops anymore. They don't want to go back to the the computer room and sit and use their desktop. They want to have a laptop or tablet so they can sit in the living room with their kids or in front of the TV and multitask and do other things. So there have these companies are having to be creative with how they are able to keep money coming in because people so, aren't just buying these desktops anymore. Right. People aren't buying the desktops, but the companies, the cloud companies are having to buy these big servers. Mm-hmm. So the idea is we're not selling laptop or not selling laptops or, or desktops. Mm-hmm. We're selling all these servers right. for, for the cloud that's where we can try to shift our focus to make our money. Right, right. And now I've, I've also, along with that, I've also started seeing um, people talking about the price of web space starting to go up. Um, I don't know if that's an effect because of the cloud or, you know, more web space, things like that, or if that's just something else. But, um, you know, it's all just changing. And like I said, this has all just been within the last two, three months. Right. So lots, lots going on. Wow. Well, today, interview-wise, we actually have two for you on this episode. Um, these are these are uh, interviews that we had done previously. So, like I say, we have been on hiatus, and uh, these interviews are, are about a year old. Um, but we have an interview today with Ed Price and one as well with Crystal Eagle. They are both Mount West graduates out of our network administration program. And they both have completely different backgrounds to how they came to Mount West and and what they're doing now with their degrees out in the world. So enjoy. I'm sitting here today with one of our former MCTC students, Ed Price. Hello, Ed. Hi, Pat. We're going to talk here today about uh, Ed's experience um, before coming to MCTC, uh, his experience here, and uh, and what he's getting into these days and. Hopefully you may find that maybe Ed's story might be similar to yours or or you may find some valuable knowledge in, in what he's talking about. So, so Ed, I guess maybe the first question is um, tell me about what brought you to MCTC, what precipitated you to come back, I guess. Um, well, uh, I retired from the military in uh, 2006, and I was just doing odd jobs. And... Uh, 
I was involved with the VA, I'd had some back problems when I was in, and I ended up getting a 30% disability, which made me eligible for the vocation rehab program. So I got a notice from them, and at the time, I wasn't, I was working odd jobs. I was actually working in a call center. Oh, okay. And, uh, and I got a notice from them saying I was eligible to go to school, so they tested me and everything, and, and I had done computer networking in, in the Air Force, but... Mm-hmm didn't have any certifications or anything which is basically not doing computer networking unless you have certs right and uh and so that was a field that i chose and i qualified to go into the uh, computer science department at marshall and that's what i thought i wanted to do and so i went over at marshall and checked around and from being involved in computers before i knew certifications were, were important and I went over there and checked around and then talked to some people, and they recommended looking into this program, and I did. And, uh, you know, for somebody that wants to go to work quick, this this is a way easier path than doing a computer science degree. Mm-hmm. So when you, when you came over here, um, I guess, you know, we have like six different options you can choose from. What was your initial option you went into? Did you stick with that, or as you took classes, did you shift? Um, well, since I had been a server administrator in the Air Force, that's kind of the path that I, I, I knew that I already knew that I enjoyed doing that. So that's okay. kind of what I stuck so with. So you just went into the networking admin and you just stay there? Right. There. Okay. Um, and so I know when you took those classes, you, you ended up taking a lot of the certifications as we went through. Right. I, I think, actually, I think you might have taken all of them by chance. I know you were one of the, you were one of the few of my students who, uh, braved the uh, exchange exam <laughs> and uh, and came out alive yeah so um so i mean so now at this point you have uh, an associate's degree you have uh, a lot of certifications under your belt what was your next move at that point what what are you looking for well i was also doing a uh a work study at the uh, va regional office oh, okay and uh they were really impressed with my work and and one of the things i think they were really impressed with was um you know the integrity of my work was because you know they never saw any reports or anything i did before at least double or triple checked them Mm -hmm. so um, after i'd been there for a couple of months um you know then they knew i was a reliable source of information as far as doing inventory and doing reports and stuff and and i think that really helped impress them so um you, you mentioned reports and stuff it's not often that we really we really mention um, on the podcast or in interviews the fact that so much of the IT job is not always touching a computer. Right. It's documentation. So right. for you, where do you find you? Where did you find you got that skill from? Did you that here? Did you that in the in the uh, armed services or? Well, I think the uh, the work ethic came from the armed services, but the ability to do it. Um, you know, I did a lot of stuff in Excel, and then I would check stuff using Visual Basic as far as running numbers against mm-hmm. each other. And it really helped speed up the process, and it made the uh, information a lot more accurate. Okay. So you mean you, you mentioned Excel and Visual Basic. I know that in our track, I don't I don't think we had Visual Basic. Did you decide to take that here when you were here? I, I took it here, and I'm real familiar with Google. If I'm looking to oh, be able to do right. something really mm-hmm. specific, I can mm-hmm. usually find a paragraph of code that will do it for okay. me. Okay. And had you actually done uh, Rhonda Scraggs um, applications to spreadsheets class? The, the uh, no. I, um, I did uh, – uh, Miss Priest, uh, it was just the IT one hundred and one. Oh, okay. Because I, I'd yeah. never, I was, I'm really familiar with Access. Mm-hmm. Uh, we used it a lot in the military, but I would write exports to Excel, but I'd never really played with Excel. And it turns out Excel's a lot like Access. Yeah, it looks like a, like a flattened version of the database, basically. Right, right. So it turned out I was really good at it, and I yeah. never, never messed with it before. Okay. And, and I figured that out in the IT one hundred and one class. Okay. So you had the uh, you had the internship at the VA, right? Where did that where did that progress to, or is that the same place now, or or what? Well, I'm I'm still there. Um, I just signed a uh, a contract to go to work for a company that does um, uh, computer contracts for military bases, as far as uh, taking care of all their ID, IT mm-hmm. needs. It's a company called CoreDev. Mm-hmm. And they're like the uh, third largest company in the United <clears throat> States. Um, all the military bases now contract their IT people. They don't. They don't use like civil service positions anymore. Okay. Um, I'm just curious. When I guess you applied for the job, or did they call you? 
Um, they they actually called me. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Um, it okay. was because I was going to ask if you applied. I was curious to know what the what the qualifications they were asking for. Well, uh, basically, it was the certs I had uh, plus a security plus cert. So, and I've got to run down and take that next week. So. Okay. So you have you have the um, the Active Directory, which is six forty, six forty two, six forty. You have both the server administrator and enterprise administrator right. from mine, right? So right. you have you have all seven because you even got the uh, the exchange, right? And so you have that right now. They were looking for that, and they were also looking for a Security Plus, right? And it turns out I didn't realize it, but the Security Plus. I mean, if you if you go to like on monster.com and just look at the jobs that are available everybody wants a security plus now mm-hmm. you know well, it's just a really it, it does seem like uh, especially these days they want i wouldn't say they want jack of all trades I, I wouldn't water it down that much but they want their uh server administrator to also know how to do some security they want you to at least be versed in that area so I, i'm not that surprised that they want security plus um I ended up getting the Security Plus before they had to do the switchover because actually you you had my class right after I, I got certified on it, but um, that seems to be the uh, the the gateway into the security side. I've been doing some research on on the security side. There's a lot of much higher level ones like the um, there's the CISSP. Those get very very intensive because they they test you on like twelve different. Uh, domains that they have basically wow. like different areas and when you do that before you can even get the certification you have to be vouched for by someone who's already a CISSP you have continuing education hours so i think i think for anyone who plans on going to the straight security side security plus is is a requirement i mean it's it's definitely um a requirement although i kind of feel that if you're going to a straight up security area it may be a bit of a ground floor that you may want to go up because there's even like in the forensic side, there's like certified forensic examiners that you can become and stuff. So, but uh, but that's awesome, sir. That's awesome that you were well, able to go you. ahead and get that. Um, I, I guess I guess as you were talking, one thing I was thinking about too was if you think based on the jobs you've had outside of here, I guess what type of skills did you see? that you were most surprised about where maybe you were like, hmm, I didn't think I would need that. You know, they they taught it, sure. They said I would need it. I just thought I would be using the computer all day. I didn't think I would need this particular skill or have to deal with it. I guess maybe it was probably a lot of reports, right? Right. And uh, the other thing that I really have to work hard at is is, is all the terminology because I, I was just – my whole concept was, you know, if you can function, then you're fine. Right. But, um, you know, all the terminology and everything, it's really important to uh, get that down. Okay. And uh, I, I know it sounds like it's, it's just I, when I started the program, that was my – my least favorite thing about it was was all the terminology, but I just came to terms with it. You yeah. know, and the, the other thing about the certifications is um, everybody fails certs. You know, you can't be afraid when you go in that you're going to fail it. You just you just got to do them. I mean, the more you dread them, that's true. The worse you're going to do. And you know, I for the for the longest time, um, I, I had not failed a certification for the longest time, and I went to go sit for. Um, for my upgrade from my MCSE 2000 to 2003. So I think it was the, well, I can't remember the exam, to be honest right now, but it was the first upgrade test, and I failed it by mere points. And at the time, I was taking uh, taking classes with Scott Nicholas and talking to him, and he was like, you know what? It sucks, doesn't it? The feeling's horrible. And I was like, yes, the feeling is very, very horrible. And he was like, well, at least now you can better sympathize with your students. And he's like, and I bet you're probably going to blow it out of the water the next time. And the next time, oh, yes, I was so furious about that. I went back in and took it and got a 1,000 because wow. I was I was going to make sure I was I knew what I needed to know. So I have to, I have to agree with you that it, it does take a time to fail a test to then go, oh, wow, this is a little bit bigger than what I thought it was going to be. And it kind of like uh, gives you some brevity to go, oh, well – I need to spend three weeks or however long that that didn't work out for you the last time. 
Yeah, so. because I, I failed the uh, application deployment test, and it was right when they were making the transition to R2. Oh, yes. And I wish I would have checked my voicemail because John Ramey had taken it, like, the day before me. And we didn't realize the transition. And one of the big things about the transition was they didn't use the term terminal server anymore. It was remote desktop services. You know, and I just had this voicemail, mm-hmm. remote desktop services, man, remote desktop services. Well, no right, terminals because right, I kept seeing yeah. it on the exam. And, uh, oh, I went in there and bombed. I mean, I even stuck my head out of the test and uh, checked with the proctor to make sure I was taking the right exam. <laughs> I'm like, what's remote desktop services, you know, Right. when I was taking it? Yeah, that 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 was kind of an unfortunate thing because that's that was the first time Microsoft ever decided to uh, update their server uh, tests without releasing a new new test. So our books were a little out of date at that point. But, but, I mean, like you mentioned earlier about the terminology, yeah. that terminology came to, to bite you in the butt right there. Yeah. Well, and then when I retook it, I got like a 970 on it. So Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, I guess it's all about knowing, you know, understanding the context. Oh, okay, yeah, that's, that's just terminal server. Right. If you just said that, I'd have known exactly what you meant. Right. And yeah. But that did, man, that, that knocked me on my butt for a while. I mean, it was another two months before I took another test, you know. It was right. like I just took the wind out of my sails because I was just breezing through them and then just bam, you know? Well, I know, I know at this point, I just, I think, I think I'm up to at least 16 tests. So I, I know the whole song and dance. I'm, I'm all walking in and they're saying, Oh, make sure you don't have da 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 da. And I'm like, here, I got my keys. I got my driver's license and my ID for you. I already know the drill. And so it becomes old hat, but boy, it's just the, um, it's just all the time before where you need to prep and get ready. I'm a little burnout. I just I did this the storage test. Uh, on, How was that? I did it on spring break. Um, it wasn't it wasn't as bad as I expected. Um, actually, when I when I tell people about about the tests, I took the CCNA a long long time ago. But I always tell my students, I don't think many of my students that have gone through my Microsoft classes and that have gone through that boot camp of hell basically. I don't think any of them will have trouble with a with a CompTIA Security Plus question, because when you go through the Microsoft, I mean, you're reading sen- like these long scenarios, and they're giving you all this information. And you're having to really look at it, and then you read a CompTIA question. It's like, which of these is not like the other A, B, C, or D? And you're like, it's only a single sentence. So the storage test is definitely an, an entry level test, and so I didn't feel nearly as bad about taking it and. And it worked out. I had to go back and restudy somewhat on it, but um, wasn't bad at all. But I don't know if you heard. Um, we talked about on the last podcast that uh, CompTIA just partnered with SNEA to come up with the Storage Plus. So now CompTIA is going to have their own storage certification as well, along with EMC's uh, Information Storage and Management one. So, well, and to um, to get. To get this job, I had to do a phone interview, and it was just brutal. It was the uh, head engineer from the company and then the head security specialist. And, uh, you know, I picked up the phone, and we introduced ourselves. And then the first thing I heard out of the engineer was, um, um, I reserve the right to uh, terminate this interview at any point that I feel like you're not qualified for the job. Wow. And I was like, crap, you know. But so. Wow. So if you don't mind me asking, then, like, how were the questions probing? Because I would think in an IT job, you would want to be able to establish whether someone has some troubleshooting skills. Right. And I'm trying to figure out over the phone how they do that. Well, um, you know, like one of their questions was on NAS. Mm -hmm. And uh, they said, okay, uh, you're... Uh, you start having performance issues and you check and you've got a bunch of PST files mm-hmm. and uh, what can you do to resolve the situation and uh, you know my first solution was uh, you know PSTs are just databases you can compress mm-hmm. them but if people are storing mail in PSTs they usually don't delete files out of them so you probably yeah. won't get much gain and then you could move it back to the uh, back into the NAS into the slower Mm-hmm. node or uh, the other thing if you don't want the PSTs on the NAS you can turn on screening mm-hmm. that's true yeah, um, yeah. I, mean, that's, I mean it's awesome because you, you just work through a whole little scenario there and, and you knew the PST files were the uh, 
or the archived mail, and and you knew what a NAS was because the storage right, class. Because right, yeah, so see, all your classes paid off. Yeah, well, I'm, I mean, I'm and it was just like a half an hour of questions like that. Wow, well, that's cool. And then one thing I did, I cheated because I, I, I knew they were going to ask specific questions about um, permissions. So I printed out a chart with all the NTFS permissions on it. <laughs> you know, and, the, and, the, and the, I used it like two or three times. But you know what? That's okay because in the real job, no one ever says to you, I need you to do this for me, and you can't use a book or the Internet. Right. They expect you to because they realize you're not going to know it all. So that's that's completely all right. But, yeah, permissions give everyone fits. Yeah. And and one of the other things that helped me was I'd been in the military, so I'd already been through the security clearances and mm-hmm. stuff. So. That's, that's the the one last question I want to kind of come back to here just to, just to wrap this up. You mentioned you were in the military. I was just curious, when you came out of the military and you came to MCTC, did they do anything for you? Like, were there certain classes you didn't have to deal with? Because I know we have Corey Payne, who's over our military services programs, and I, I want to talk to him at some point on the podcast about opportunities for people uh, coming out of the military and coming here. So I didn't know what your experience was. Well, um, I, I came out of the Air Force, and one, one of the things the Air Force is really good mm-hmm. about was uh, before I retired, we spent a full day with a VA rep going over all of our benefits and everything. Mm-hmm. And and anybody that's coming out of the military, they need to go down to the VA regional office immediately. Before and, they before they get out? Well, yeah, uh, it's good to talk to somebody when they get out, but if they don't, they need to go down and talk to uh, DAV and, uh, and uh, get that whole process started. And they'll know what a DAV is? Uh, disabled American Veterans. But oh, okay. it, it's across from the uh, courthouse down on 4th Avenue. Oh, okay. And, and um, you know, that's that's what generated this whole thing was was filing a claim with them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the other thing, while you're in, make sure that any uh, injuries you have or anything are documented because everything that happens to you while you're in the military, whether it happens on the job or not, is service-related. Right. So, um, you know, and, and I'm not... Uh, really getting any extra money or anything for the 30% disability, but they paid my way through school and gave me a check while I was going to school, so it was awesome. Wow. That's awesome. And it's opened up opportunities for you. Oh, yeah, it's wonderful. You know, pretty much changed my life. You know, I was working Mm -hmm. in a call center before I started going to school, so this Mm -hmm. is wonderful. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you sitting down with us, Ed, and taking time to talk to us about your experience, and um, I hope everyone out there in the listening audience um, maybe picks something up from this. Thank you very much. You bet. Anytime. Today I'm sitting here with one of our recent graduates of the Network Administration Option here at Mount West Community and Technical College, Crystal Eagle. Hello, Crystal. Hello, Patrick. Today Josh and I have been talking about the Women in IT article uh, that we recently found, and so... We want to be able to talk to you and get an idea um, about your story as to how, how you came into IT because there is, there's definitely a, a gap between male and female IT um, technicians in the field. And so we're kind of curious about your story to see how you might have decided to come along into the IT realm. So I guess first let's go ahead and start at the beginning um, by asking what actually prompted you to come here to Mount West Community Technical College? Well, I was taking some classes at a vocational center, uh, culinary arts, and I ended up taking a math class, uh, college prep, that actually had me enrolled in MCTC. Um, I was getting ready to move and was trying to figure out which college I wanted to go to. Uh, I looked at MCTC because I was already enrolled in it, um, the cost of living in the area was affordable. The area was pretty safe. It wasn't as high of a crime rate as other areas I had looked at. Plus, I liked the education opportunities. Okay, so when you first came here uh, to MCTC, what was your original um, what was your original goal? Uh, you said you were taking culinary classes, so was it culinary that you started with? Yes, um, I'd done one semester in culinary arts, uh, actually got a job cooking, and realized that I didn't really want to cook for the rest of my life. It's not something that I would enjoy doing. So then at that point, did you decide to shift from culinary to, I'm guessing, IT? Yes. Um, 
I started culinary arts uh, spring of 2010. Um, that summer I had the time to consider what it was I wanted to do. My computer ended up getting a root kit. My best or my best friend at the time had said, um, "Well, that you sh- that's what you should end up doing. You should go to college for that. You would be really good at it." And I started thinking, and I had done stuff with computers since I was a little kid. Uh, I was 13 and changed a modem out in the computer and hooked the internet up. Um, and and we're, so we're actually talking an old-fashioned modem, not a cable modem like today. We're talking about the actual dial-up modem. So that's pretty impressive. Yes. Um, it was a little tricky, but I enjoyed I enjoyed stuff like that. And so it wasn't something, so what you're saying, though, it wasn't that you magically got a root kit during the summer and you said, I like this. There was already twinges of stuff in your past, playing with computers, tinkering with them, adding modems, that you might have already had a, a like for it. But until the root kit happened, it wasn't a, oh, yeah, I forgot how much I like this moment. Yes. Okay. So when you did decide to go to IT, I'm just curious, kind of as a follow-up, did you immediately go into the networking admin option, or did did you start with a different option and then, and then come over? What did you choose? I started with a network admin. Um, that fall, I ended up taking the Security Plus and then some of the other basic classes. That, the Security Plus is my first IT class. Okay. Um, I think I ended up taking some of the classes that summer because it was between the intermission. I ended mm-hmm. up taking, like, IT 101, some of the prerequisites. Okay. Because you'd already started off in culinary, mm-hmm. and not all the culinary stuff actually mapped over to the IT stuff. Yes. So, okay. And so then you I, – I know that you were in my Security Plus class um, the following fall. You took my first four Microsoft courses, and you just finished up doing your final three Microsoft courses and then graduating. At at this point, as you were working your way through, did you get any certifications along the way or are you planning on getting any certifications? I've taken the three certifications to get the MCSA or the MCITPSA. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've taken those three certifications. I've taken two certifications towards the MCSE or the MCITPSE. Mm -hmm. I've... um, I'm working on the third cert for that, and I've also considered taking the Security Plus and Network Plus. I just haven't had the time to study for it, take the exam. Okay, so to kind of resummarize what you said, um, you took took the test for my first class, which was Active Directory, because that's actually needed for both the security, uh, um, that's both needed for the server admin as well as the enterprise admin. You've taken the network administration or the network uh, infrastructure, which is 642 as well, because that was needed for the server admin. You've taken 646. That capped off the server admin. Um, I think you're getting ready to take 646, 643. Yes. Which, is, which was the third class in, in the first semester. That was only needed for the enterprise admin. Um, client-wise, did you do Vista? Or did you Windows 7. Yeah, Windows 7. So that works out because that, that was the Operating Systems 2 or the Advanced Operating Systems class. And you've already taken the um, 70-647, the Enterprise Administrator test, but that they just won't give you that until after you've passed the 646. So you've, you've taken a lot of them. Do you have any plans to sit for Exchange? I've thought about it. Okay. Uh, I have I have very few takers or very few victims that decide to go and try to try to take that exam, but I was curious. So, yeah, I, I think you've managed to amass a, a pretty good wealth of uh, certifications here. So that's pretty awesome. So at this point, now that you've graduated uh, with an associate's degree from us and you have several certifications under, under your belt, what's next for you? Are you going to go to uh, a four-year institution and continue your education? Um, are you going to find it? You're going to find a job. Have you already found a job? What What's next for Crystal? Well, the internship um, in the final semester led to an internship at ATS Advanced Technical Solutions. Mm-hmm. I have been working there for about six weeks now. Um, I have a full time job there now. Okay. And it's the job I was wanting. So. Yeah. 
really excited. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, I know that I think last week's interview we did was with, uh, with, with Paul Martin. So Paul Martin actually came through our, our, um, our classes back in 2003, I think. And that was, was when ATS was just starting, but he got his, his start there as well. And, and now he's climbed up the ladder quite a way. So I think ATS is an excellent place to, to be able to, to get you a job. So that's awesome that your education and your certif- certificates have paid off in that way. Do you have, I mean, I guess going back to the women in IT article thing, do you have any advice or, or do you do you know uh, what made you want to go into IT? Is it something that happened to you? I mean, like I say, there is there seems to be a large gap between men and women in IT, and and so I'm just kind of wondering from a from a female perspective, what what you think why that might be. Well, I really like technology from a young age, and I think that that's one of my biggest things. Um, but it's also really good in the fact that it's real detail oriented and multitasking, and that's something that I'm generally really good at, and I think that most women are really good at. Okay. So m- maybe if they were just exposed to it more, maybe they would find they really liked it. Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us and, and, and talk about what brought you here and, uh, and what you're doing now, and we wish you the best of luck. Thank you. Well, that's going to do it for this week's edition of Talk on Tech. Uh, as a reminder, if you have news stories you want us to feature on here or if you just want to uh, give us a shout and let us know uh, how, what you think about the podcast, you can hit us on Twitter at TalkOnTechMCTC or you can send us an email to TalkOnTech at gmail.com. For this week, I'm Patrick Smith. And I'm Josh Joseph. Have a good one. Mm-hmm.